is. Oh, Belle Mama. This is a song that I used to always um, plead with my mother to sing in this car when I was a kid on our trips up to Quebec. I used to always, I'd say, oh, please, Mommy, please, Mommy, sing Oh, Belle Mama. And then she'd sing it. And my dad, throughout, you know, during the song, at one point, he'd take out his handkerchief and he'd pretend to be crying. And then towards the end of the song, he'd sob, you know, just to poke fun. It's about a woman pleading with her mother-in-law um, about how uh, terrible her son is, you know, he's, you know, she doesn't appreciate anything, and I'm so depressed, I'm so discouraged, and then if, and the chorus says, if you could help me, I'd be most grateful, or if you'd talk to your son, I'd be most grateful, something to that effect. Oh, belle mama, votre fils n'aime comprend pas, oh, belle mama, voulez-vous régler mon corps? Je me sens si déprimée, je suis si découragée. Et si vous voulez m'aider, je saurais vous remercier. L'autre soir est arrivé pour souper. J'avais fait de bons ragoûts et des patates pilées. Il trouvait que c'était pas assez salé. Il m'a dit que mon repas était encore manqué. Oh, belle maman, votre fils ne me comprend pas. Oh, belle maman, voulez-vous régler mon corps? Je me sens si déprimée, je suis si découragée. Et si vous voulez m'aider, je serai vous remercier. Hello, welcome to Vermont Untapped. I'm Mary Wesley. The beautiful voice you've been listening to is Franco-American Vermonter Martha Pellerin. This month, we're celebrating Martha's life and work. Martha died of cancer in 1998 at 37 years old, much too soon. Her loss was devastating to those close to her and to those who looked to her as a leader in raising public awareness of Franco-American culture in Vermont and beyond. Throughout her life, Martha recorded oral histories, collected songbooks, created curriculum, taught in schools, made documentaries, performed with her family, and with the band Jeter le Pont, which literally means throwing the bridge. For countless people, Martha was the bridge that helped them connect with their Franco-American legacy. Today, echoes of her energy and influence can be seen and heard across Vermont. In Middlesex, you'll find her name on a local memorial bandstand, along with another influential musician from the area. In our archive here at the Vermont Folklife Center, you can browse the Martha Pellerin collection of Franco-American Song, a collection of recorded songs and interviews and songbooks gathered by Martha. And a few weeks from now in Burlington, you can attend a concert in her honor, hosted by her son, Ian Drury, and the organization Young Tradition Vermont. I'll talk more about the concert later in the show. But right now, I want you to hear from Martha herself and from some people very close to her. The VFC's Greg Sharrow interviewed Martha in 1997, just over a year before she died. What about your identity as a Franco-American? You know, could you... I realize there's lots you could say. <laughs> Where to begin, huh? Well, I guess I kind of in summary, kind of a summary of it all. Um... In graded school, most first-generation Franco-Americans are told to not speak French, to learn English, and their French language skills are 
usually weren't valued. So you learn pretty quickly. Um, I don't think it was an intentional thing. I think that the teachers, I don't mean to down, you know, badmouth the teachers we had. I think that they were trying really hard to give us the best opportunity to succeed in this culture that we had just moved into. So they weren't being uh, mean. They were just trying to help us. But in the process, they didn't realize that they were giving us a message that said, your culture isn't valued. <clears throat> and we learned that lesson too well, unfortunately. But um, to be a first-generation Franco-American, basically you deal with most of your life lots of cultural conflicts that um, by the time you're you know, before you're 20, you know, when you're in high school, even 16, 15 years old, you're you're pretty burnt out because you're continuously giving mixed messages. In graded school, you're told not to speak French. You get into you get to high school and you have to take a second language, and suddenly it's important to know French, and you've almost lost all your French already because you've tried so hard to, you know, to do right, to you know, to do the right thing. Then you get into high school and they're like. <laughs> take, you should take French and then you get into French class and, and you figure you're going to get an easy A and you come out with a D because they don't like the way you speak French uh, and because and also because you're good orally but you know nothing about reading or writing it and the teacher assumes that you know all of it right? You know, so no matter what it's always in a situation where you always feel inadequate you never quite feel like you get it, you get it all together, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm sure that's the same with lots of first-generation ethnic anybody. I don't, it's not, I'm sure it's not just an experience that Frankel's had. So, and then there's always, always the uh, conflicts of uh, trying to balance out the, both cultures because you're living a totally different culture at home than what you're living at school. Martha's parents had been part of a wave of immigration from Quebec to Vermont, beginning in the late 19th century. Thousands of French Canadians came to find work in factories or land to establish farms. Her family came from the eastern townships and settled in Barrie, where she was born in 1961. It was after her father died that Martha began to make sense of the cultural tug-of-war she'd experienced growing up, and an identity of her own began to crystallize. My dad was the fifth, I think, of our extended family to pass away in about a year's time. And it really impacted on me because the people that happened to die that particular year, for some reason I was suddenly very aware of how the family gatherings and the soirees were going to be significantly different because they weren't going to be there. And it just happened to be people that really made an impression on me growing up. You know, sometimes you go to a party, or certain people you hope are going to be there because mm-hmm. those are the people that really, I don't know, they add this atmosphere to it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So the relatives that died, including my dad, that year were those kind of people for me. If I was going to go to a soiree, I'd always hope that they were going to be there, that kind of thing. So, um, so it suddenly became, I kind of grew up overnight when that struck me that, geez, 
Plus, when my dad died in February, we had just gone through the holidays. And so all of those family gatherings were still fresh in my mind. And they seemed a little different that year because of people that were gone. And then when my dad died, it was like, wow, now what it's going to be like, you know. I can't rely on my dad to kind of fill in the gaps that these other folks had left behind because he's gone now. So suddenly I realized that if my generation didn't wake up and smell the roses, that all of those wonderful experiences were going to be gone forever and that we had to make our own. So, again, it's not like a unique experience. I'm sure other people experience it too, but what's, I guess, unique about it for me is that I turned it into a full-time obsession. (laughs) So, and ever since then, I've been collecting songs and doing oral histories and creating programs and just a just an experience that just significantly changed my life i just i was at i guess at a point in my life where i was ready to you know do something i guess and then this was happened to be the thing that i was meant to do and i did it and continue to do it and i very satisfying to me There's no doubt that Martha found what she was meant to do, and no doubt that she did it. Her friend and colleague Kim Chase of Essex Junction, Vermont, has referred to Martha as a virtual human database of Franco-American resources. This role was true in her day-to-day life with family, friends, and neighbors, and carried into her public and professional life as well. Martha worked extensively with the Vermont Folklife Center and many other organizations to raise the visibility of Franco-American culture. Eventually, she founded and ran her own nonprofit, Franglais Enterprises, to carry out her work. Her son, Ian, sometimes came along on her travels. We went on tour um, of some schools up and down the East Coast, my, my mom and I. Um, and it was she was going through and teaching classes um, um, basically about Franco-American, French-Canadian history um, and where the French came from and, and how they moved to various parts of the country. Um, and she would put me up on top of the teacher's desk to show all the kids how to foot tap. So I would teach the kids in the classes how to foot tap all different ages. Um, and I was in fifth grade at the time. Um, and she would ask for some people's names in the class. And she would uh, hear a French last name. And she said, you know what? I bet if you went home and you asked your parents that about your last name, and asked if it was French. I bet you could hear some pretty neat stories. And kids' eyes would light up. Like, they would feel like a connection with that of, oh, like, this might be a piece of who I am. Um, And just kind of continued building that kind of community and that sense of identity and searching for, uh, you know, who we are as people um, and uh, everything that that brings. And uh, she just had a really great way of doing that, making people feel at home, um, whether they were Franco or not, just everybody coming together and celebrate um, just the the amazing people that are Franco-Americans, um, whether that was through the festivals, through her music, through um, printing things in both English and French to make sure that people who don't speak French have an opportunity to understand what's being said. Um, just it was very inclusionary. Um, and I think a part of that, you know, myself not um, speaking very good French, um, I was always very appreciative of that. And I think that 
might have been a piece of her, you know, with Jeté Le Pont, with bridging the gap of trying to figure out that piece between people who only speak English and only speak French, and how can we make sure that there's still a connection between um, our generations um, so that we don't lose more of our culture. Um, Yeah, she was very good at that. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Ian will be the host of a tribute concert in honor of his mother on May 5th in Burlington, Vermont. It's at Contoy's Auditorium at City Hall from 3 to 5.30, and if you're in the area, you should go. Find the full concert info on our website, vtfolklife.org untapped. It's going to be a great party. It's bringing together a whole host of people who knew and loved Martha, who worked alongside her when she was alive, and who are carrying forward her mission to keep Franco-American culture alive today. One of these people is Burlington resident and musician Michel Choignier, who I interviewed while working on this episode. Martha was friends with my brother Mark somehow in Montpelier. He had met her. And then in 1990, my brother brought Martha over to my parents' house, and I was there, and I met Martha for the first time. And in really outside of my parents' community of friends and their children. Martha was the first Franco-American that I had met. And it was the first time also that I heard the term Franco-American. It's not what my parents or ourselves, what we called ourselves. Um, my parents would say we are um, the Canadiens Français or the uh, French Canadians. They were not, they didn't call themselves Franco-Americans. That was a very new term. But Martha brought this term with her and so my mother, I remember saying, now, what's this Franco-American <laughs> term? And Martha explained, well, we're American, but we, we speak French, and we have this French heritage. So um, we, uh, after speaking with Martha, we said, you know, Martha, we want to create a Franco-American festival in St. Albans. And so she said, oh, that's great. Let's all, you know, we'll, we'll help you out. And so I remember her being really excited that we were going to have our first uh, Franco-American festival there. So we had genealogy, and we had music um, performances, and we had cooking contests and all kinds of things for the first annual Franco-American festival that Martha helped us um, put together. Um, And then I was in touch with her again over the years. um, I helped her with Soiree Gramanage, which was a tour, one of her first tours that she organized with uh, musicians from Quebec in Vermont, um, Benoit Bork was involved with that, as well as Dana Whittle and, and Claude Mette and Josie Vachon and Chanterelle, um, and myself and my dad. It was the first time, really, that I had performed outside of the Maple Festival with traditional music. And then I remember shortly after that, um, she invited me to go with her and a few other people to the University of Maine um, Franco-American Conference. And there, um, it was sort of like a rassemblement um, a gathering of Franco-American artists and people. And that's when she kind of said, you know, you got to get out and sing your music, Michelle. <laughs> and I said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> because I was very shy because I was too um, self-conscious and anxious about, I don't know what it was, singing in French and um, coming out as a Franco-American because before I would do, you know, school musicals, and I was always, you know, involved with chorus in high school and college and the musicals and all that. But to do this kind of folk music was really something new and different. And I also accompanied myself on piano. So, 
you know, it was a big step. But she said, you know, you're going to, you're going to, how did she wear this? You're going to um, have an influence on more people performing than you would in the classroom. So you need to get out of the classroom and start singing. Michelle did get out there and start singing. She's performed all over New England, worked as a teaching artist, and like Martha, documented songs and oral history within her own family. She's still reaching people in the classroom as well. Michelle has been a French teacher for 27 years. But when I talked to her, it was clear that that nudge from Martha was a significant moment in her life. Martha seemed to have this gift for drawing people into connection with their heritage and encouraging them to find their own way of expressing it. I didn't know her, but since I'm lucky enough to produce this podcast, I'm getting to know her a little bit by hearing from people like Michelle and Ian and by listening to the recordings we have in the archive. These recordings allow us in the present to be in dialogue with the past. When I heard Michelle tell her story about Martha, it was almost like I could hear Martha responding. I'm really interested in creating a space where people feel very comfortable expressing themselves culturally, which I think is really hard to do in in American society, in the USA. And I know that I've had personal experience growing up not feeling comfortable um, expressing myself as a Franco and I know that other people also have had that experience, especially my older siblings, people a little bit older than I am. And um, so I have a strong desire to encourage people and and uh, have people feel really comfortable expressing themselves ethnically, because I think it's an ex- it's, I think it's a opportunity that a lot of people don't get. And I've seen some wonderful things happen as a result of just creating that little bit of space and having people feel really comfortable just kind of set the tone that it's okay um, usually by expressing myself first kind of you know putting myself out there and and uh, then other people are like oh and they understand it's okay to express themselves and um, and then it's it's not very hard it's not very hard. It seems to be that the desire for the people I've met so far, um, with some exceptions, but the people I've met so far, it seems like they're hungry for that. Uh, once you get them going, sometimes they just, it's like a court got let loose and they have all kinds of things to say. I'm sure you've experienced the same thing when you do your interviews and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like they don't get that opportunity very often. And I just feel great creating that opportunity and then learning so much about my own culture and often about other people's culture. It's, it's, it's a wonderful experience. So I guess that's my desire. That's what drives me. Is is um, It's very rewarding to have that experience, share that experience with other people. And it's rewarding to to have a hand in creating that space, you know, and realizing how important it is for people. Um, I just see myself as a person that uh, creates opportunities for Franco-Americans to um, not just, I don't want to say preserve their heritage so much as to progress their culture. 
the first step is usually connect with your heritage because many of them have lost that connection. That's the first step. But um, I don't want it to stop there. You know, I want them to. I want them to have the opportunity to to um, to you know uh, what's the word. The only thing I can think of to describe is progress the culture, to make it alive, to make it whatever they want it to be, to express themselves. And that's really an important piece for me that I've really struggled with because that's not a very easy thing to produce, you know, to, to what kind of space is going to make it comfortable for somebody to do that. How do you create that environment? That's kind of a... A real mystery, and I've tried all different kinds of things, and some of them seem to be successful, and others are hard to measure. You know, sometimes you don't realize it till years later when you get a letter or a phone call from somebody that says, "You know, do you remember when?" Like, and it was like five years ago, and I'm like, "Sure, I remember that." <laughs> you know, and they say, "Well, I'm just going to let you know," and they let you know what they've done with that little seed that got planted that day. You know, they let you know what happened to that and how how it's progressed and but you never really know you know how how you affect somebody else Martha planted many seeds in her community and of course she had the greatest influence on her own family here's her son Ian again Yeah early on I was just after I had learned some of the things about my that my parents have gone through in their life, um, I was amazed by them. Uh, not that it was sunshine and roses, because uh, it wasn't. Uh, there are certainly memories that I have that aren't pleasant uh, from them. But overall, if I look at at them, I have learned so much as as a father um, that I think. <laughs> That I wish I had more of an opportunity to thank in person my mother, but I have thanked my father multiple times of being who they are as people because they have really um, taught me how to be a good dad um, through both their qualities and their faults. Um, And uh, I just kind of marvel and um, am so happy that I just kind of envision generation after generation of just more compassion and more love um, for children just moving down the line. Um, so I see a lot of, of my mom and me and my dad and me um, with how they were able to, amongst various adverse experiences um, and stressors, um, do the very best that they could for their children, um, which was a lot. Um, I don't think about it as much as more, but definitely once my kids were born, I was like, man, Man, my mom would have loved you guys up, <laughs> and that's that's that can be tough um, on on birthdays um, of just thinking how much they've grown and and what um, just knowing like how connected my um, my mom would have been to them and present in their lives. Recently, Ian had a unique opportunity to connect his kids to the legacy of their grandmother. Last fall, the Folklife Center received a grant through the Champlain Valley National Heritage Partnership to support the revitalization of Franco-American song in the valley. We worked with two singers, Carmen Baudouin-Bombardier of Burlington and Kim Chase of Essex Junction, 
With the help of musician and scholar Lisa Ornstein, a Vermont Franco-American songbook was created. The book has 12 songs and one nursery rhyme. Working directly from Kim and Carmen singing, Lisa wrote musical notation, lyrics in both French and English, and even wrote a phonetic version of the French lyrics so that more people could learn how to sing them. I think Martha would have liked this project. Since this music is social music, meant to be sung on holidays and at parties, we needed a way to get it off the page. So, in partnership with Young Tradition Vermont, a singing class was organized. It was led by Carmen and Kim, and Ian got to bring his kids, Paxton, Savian, and Sawyer, to the class. The singing class that we had was really a wonderful way to connect with them about my mom. And I was kind of curious their response about it went because they'd be like, wow, like, oh, your grandmother was so amazing. They've never met her, um, unfortunately. And uh, to hear people kind of uh, deify her in a way um, must be really weird as a kid, um, like kind of hearing this this person that you never heard of and how amazing she was. Um, and uh, it was really sweet. I think it was difficult for them at first because of the language barrier um, of having to try to get through those pronunciations they were muscling through it though i mean they really they really did well and then by the end they they were really cherishing it um recently um savian was in a music class and they started singing chantal la moule and she was like oh my gosh i know all these words and started singing them and uh i don't know that just meant that meant a lot to me and i was really thankful that that um singing class was there for them um because I think it allowed them to connect in a way that they hadn't necessarily in the past. Um, we had had the music parties, and I always sang to them as kids when they were growing up. I would sing Ramadan as a as a bedtime song, um, and so they would, you know, they knew that song, um, and would sing it with me at parties. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it was a really great opportunity for for them to to connect with their heritage and and with their grandmother in a way that they hadn't yet, which was really sweet. The singing class, including Ian's kids, will be performing at the Martha Pellerin Tribute Concert on Sunday, May 5th. Again, all the details are on our website, vtfolklife.org untapped. Other performers include Michel Chouanière, who we heard from earlier, Benoit and Antoine Bork, Carmen Baudouin-Bombardier, Carol Reed, and also Claude Mété and Dana Whittle, who were Martha's bandmates in Jeté Le Pont. I hope we'll see you there. Thanks for listening to Vermont Untapped. If you like this episode, please share it with others and maybe take the time to leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps other people find the show. There's a lot more information and photos of Martha in our show notes at vtfolklife.org untapped. Episodes are released monthly, so we'll be back in May. Many thanks to Michelle and Ian for talking with us. To my colleague and VFC archivist Andy Kolovos, who helped a lot with this episode and to our friends at Young Tradition Vermont. You can find out more about them at youngtraditionvermont.org. We'll close this episode with Jeté Le Pont's recording of Ramadonk. It's a song Martha learned from her uncle, and the one that Ian mentioned singing with his kids. You'll most certainly hear it at the tribute concert. Vermont Untapped is produced by Erica Fridgewelli and me, Mary Wesley. Thanks for listening. On est parti tôt ce matin, le vent du 